0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you to hear what you'd have us to see and teach us and let the Spirit guide. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 77. To the chief musician, to Jedethon, a psalm of Asaph. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, my sore ran in the night, I ceased and ceased not, my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained in and my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Thou holds my eyes waking, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old and the years of ancient times. I called to remembrance my song in the night, I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more is his mercy clean gone forever does his promise fail forever has god forgotten to be gracious has has he in anger shut up his tender mercies selah i said this i said this is my infirmity and i will remember the years of the right hand of the most high i will remember the works of the lord surely i will remember your wonders of old i will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings your way o lord is in the sanctuary who is so great a god as our god who you are the god that do, does wonders you have declared your strength among the people you have with your arm redeemed your people the sons of jacob and joseph selah the waters saw you o god the waters saw you they were afraid the depths also were troubled The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out sound. Your arrows also went abroad. The voice of your thunders was in the heaven. The lightnings lighted the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way is in the sea. And your path in the great waters. And your footsteps are not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. All right. We're going to look at this. It starts out as most Psalms as a very... uh, Reading kind of upset and ends with a fairly positive note on it. So we're going to kind of look this one over. To the, ch- to the chief musician, to Thedothan, and he was one of the chiefs of the three choirs in the temple. Uh, so it's specifically written to one of the choirs. A psalm of Asaph, and we've been looking at a lot of Asaph. Asaph wrote a lot of psalms song, in this section. Okay, and remember we're in the third what's called the third book by the Jews and it's about primarily about the sanctuary and God's greatness. So we're gonna be looking at that. Do you have a question, Sharon? Oh no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I just got my tea so
1: hot I gotta get. Oh okay. There's some yeah. You know.
0: It says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. So we're having a little bit of a re- repetition here, which means that he's anytime something's repeated, or especially if it's three times, you want to kind of look at that because somebody's trying to make a point, and in here he's crying to God, and his distress is that he cries to God. And in the very end it says, and you gave ear. God heard him. And this is wonderful. We know that God hears us. We're told that We get to go into the throne room of heaven at any time we want. We get to call him, Abba, Father. You know, we we can come boldly into the presence of God. You think about the Jews. When they wanted to come into the presence of God, usually, unless they really understood who God was, they had to go to the tabernacle or the temple, offer a sacrifice or two or three or four or all five, make their sacrifices, and then come to God, trembling with the idea of, did I do enough to be forgiven and be able to come before God. We get to just come before Him because of Jesus' sacrifice. Now, in reality, they could just come before Him. David did all the time. Jeremiah did. Isaiah did. And it wasn't just because they were important people. It was they understood who God was and how God saw them. And we're seeing here, He's in the normal cry, Hear us, hear us. Verse 2, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord... My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. He says, In the day of my trouble, my distress, my it literally means to be pressed against in straits and being pressed into a very tight fit. God loves to put people in that position where they're in a strait, where all they can do is go forward with him or fight hard against the pressure. And if you've been there, you know what that's like. You can either fight the pressure or you just go with where God's leading you through the pressure. Most of us like to fight the pressure and struggle and battle. And if we just follow the tight, it may be a tight fit. It's, and it really kind of, it's a picture of if anybody who's done any hiking and you get up into these mountain crevices and you're kind of squeezing your way through a crevice to get to the other side, not anymore. <laughs> when we were younger and smaller. <laughs> Mine said it differently. It says, "When I was in distress,
1: I thought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untied hand, mm-hmm. and my soul refused to be comforted." Yes.
0: Yes. That's the distress, the tight spot, the and the sore. And my sore is literally meaning hand. I'm not quite sure why. It, it translated in the King yeah. James as, as, as sore. You said that you're my, my free hand.
1: In my hand, in the unt- untiring
0: hand. Untiring hand, yeah. Uh, in the Hebrew, it literally means hand, so I do not know where King James got sore out of it. But uh, sometimes when you read that, it's totally
1: different of mine, and that's why I kind of, you know, my mm-hmm. lost from that.
0: Sometimes, sometimes the versions do a better job translating the Hebrew and Greek than the yeah. King James does yes you you keeping quiet on that I know <laughs> but it is a true thing it is a, there are places where the King James did not do even though I read from the King James and I love the King James there are places in the King James where it is not translated as well as I would have translated it looking at the Greek and Hebrew definitions. This is straight King James. The old I King that, James. Read, well I've read it all my life so it's not a...
1: Some the words I wrote to my this, is, no, this is the old King
0: James. But this is one of the places where I don't know why. There may, there, I'm sure there was a reason why they use sore but it doesn't make sense to me.
1: What the word sore is supposed to be? I
0: don't know. It's supposed to be your, your arm, your free arm, your, your hand that you can raise not 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 pressed down so his hand ran or stretched out in the night and he couldn't stop it i picture of him raising his hands in praise to god in the middle of the night
1: that's what mine says the praise
0: yeah he's he's, he's hands praising hands he's god with raised prayer. hands stretched out hands to god in the middle of the night and he can't stop it so it's uh, just amazing to me. You know, that picture is so precious. God, I'm crying out to you. Please hear me. And I'm worshiping you in the middle of the night, even though it's night.
1: I don't mean to be silly, but the silly. The way I'm reading it, it says, and my sword ran in the night. Uh, and in fact, it's sword running in the night, is what it says.
0: And I don't, but again, it doesn't fit the Hebrew, no. the Hebrew words. But you're right. That's what I picture when I read this, the way it's written in the Hebrew. I'm picturing some, he is so in distress that he's cut and he's got an infected sore. Yeah. That's how I read it until I started digging into the Hebrew and saw hands raised up. Yeah. So. And I'm not going to say that it was a bad translation. I mean, there, there might have been a good, strong reason for them to use sore, sore ran I just haven't been able to find it in my research. And if that's the case, he is saying, you know, hey, I, I was in trouble, I sought the Lord. But you look at these two, these, the way these are phrased in the poetry of, of the Hebrew, it sounds more likely that he was praising God. I'm seeking you, God, I'm raising my hands in praise, I'm, I'm seeking you even, even on my bed. And my soul refused to be comforted without God's help is what, is what it looks like. Without God's help, I refused to be comforted. And you know, that should be the way we are. We should not be comforted until God answers us and gives us that comfort. Because if it's not God giving it, it's probably the wrong comfort. And it's not going to last all that long. And then it says in verse 3, I remembered and was troubled... And this is kind of an interesting... And I complained. <laughs> which literally is meditated. And my soul was overwhelmed. You know, uh, I complained, or in this case, meditated. mused, thought over. <laughs> groaned. Groaned or grumbled. I, was, I, I didn't know what to say, but my, my soul was grumbling and meditating over this. Meditation can be a very good thing. Meditation can also be a very bad thing in your life. If you're meditating on all the bad that's happening to you, and not on God, it's going to make you more and more miserable as you think about it. When we meditate on God and his word and his, and his grace, we'll get comfort. And so here, here's this man in, in severe, whatever it was that was causing him to be this way, he's in severe distress and he's crying out to God. And really crying out to God because that's why he duplicated it. And he says, "Lord, I'm, I am in just such straits. I'm raising my hands. And, I'm just in, and I re- cannot be comforted. Nothing is comforting me. So maybe we've all been there at some point where we just can't seem to be comforted by anything,
1: especially in the middle of the night alone. A lot of
0: times, alone." And he remembered God and was troubled and complained because God did not seem to be there. Does that sound maybe a little familiar if you read the story of Job? Of, of job? Mm-hmm. You now, God, uh, I don't understand any of this. I've tried to be as good as I can. I've tried to, to honor you and look at what's going on. Maybe in our own lives we've been there many, many times. God, you know, I tried to do whatever. I tried to raise my kids. I tried to work this job. And I you know, And I got fired. God, I tried to raise my kids right and look what they became. God, I tried to I tried to honor you and, and with the tithes and offerings and you didn't come through. Well, God says I'm not done yet in any of those cases. I'm not done yet. And God oftentimes, and most often, will not operate in our time schedule. <laughs> he operates in His time schedule. Because we normally as humans want to go, God, uh, I wanted it... Uh, Yesterday. Now <laughs> I'm praying about it now, but I want it yesterday. <laughs> you know, get get busy. Get you know get off your get off your butt and go go get to work. We might not be that blunt with him, but but in one sense we are in one sense we are being that blunt with him. God, you're not moving fast enough. And you know, we're basically saying, get up and get moving. And God is saying, I'm gonna do it in the right time. I love the song that God is never late. He's never late. He does it in just the right moment. He's an on-time God. On-time God. That's the name of the song, On-time God. You know, he, he's always right on time. may not be what we think of as on time, but He's right there when He needs to be for us to get covered and protected. And it's usually long enough for us to get stressed out if we're going to concentrate on everything that's going wrong rather than on Him. God will do this often with us and say, be patient, wait in me. I've got this covered. The, the statement that I've used many times that I heard on the radio, God's will is what we would choose if we knew everything. Okay, he knows everything. He knows that when he steps in, it's the perfect time to affect the future. <laughs> We wanted it right away where we wouldn't grow or somebody wouldn't have the right pressure in their life or the right in, right confluence of events in their life. And if He solved it before the right time, they wouldn't be touched or we wouldn't be touched. It's important to just be patient. God knows what He's doing. And it is always for good. We may not think it's for good at, in, at the time, And you know what? He never promised it's for our good anyway. He said it is for good. All things work together for good. could be for his good, not
1: ours. could be
0: for his good. It could be for our children's good. It could be for our people looking at us. Do you realize how many people, when you tell people you're a Christian, are watching you to see how you react to the situations that they see in your life, and they look at their life and say, I would be crushed by this, and they're watching you walk with God with some victory. And they're looking at, I don't, I don't know that I can get through that. We're thinking we can't get through it either, but we got God on our side, and we're willing to say, God, you're, 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 in, you're in charge. They're looking at it and saying, man, I don't know how they, can get, how they get through that. That is what people are looking at. How do we handle the pressures of life that they go through with God. Because if we're a Christian and we tell them we're a Christian, they're going to look and say, you know, well, that person turned to drugs just like I do. And uh, their God God isn't anything. That person told a lie to get out of the trouble. Uh, You know, that's what I would do. It's not, you know, what kind of God. But when you go through and you walk with God and you're honest and and you're letting God deal with it, they look at you and say, there's something special. And this is where this man's at. He's under heavy pressure. And he's saying, I'm going to think about it. Verse 4 You hold my eyes waking, so I, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He's beaten, troubled. He can't sleep. As Andy was saying, usually late at night is when these things hit us. You know, when you can't sleep, when your mind is racing because all the problems of the day are coming upon you. and and maybe you're like me, you're thinking of all the answers, you should have, all the things you should have said to the people if you were quick-witted. No, I'm looking at the
1: clock thinking, he'll kill me or Lynn will, that's <laughs> all.
0: <laughs> but, but I've shared with you, I usually think of what to say to somebody about an hour after I'm done speaking to them. Oh, I should have said this, this was the perfect thing to say. Yeah.
1: Uh, or why did I say that, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why did I say that
0: particular thing and make things a mess? Uh, He says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient. This person is living in the past. Okay? He's remembering the past. He's not living in the now. This is something we have to be careful of as Christians. God wants us living in the moment that we're living in. And this is critical for us to always remember. I can't change the past. Whatever's been done in the past, I cannot make any changes in. If I'm sorrowing because I made mistakes with my kids or I made mistakes in my finances, whatever it might be, it's gone. I cannot change whatever's past. I have to live now. The other side of the coin is to be so worried about what's coming in the future that I forget about living today. Because I am so worried about, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if if this person comes in and says this or does this or... What if this happens and we're sitting in today losing today because we're worried about the future or worried about the past? Either thing we have no control over. And God is saying now. His name is I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. I am in this moment with you. And he's ready to give so us that's guidance.
1: that's why it is. Because I always wonder why he says I am.
0: Because he's a present tense God. Yeah,
1: now that does make
0: sense.
1: Well, of course, do. his
0: I am includes all of yeah. time. Yeah. But he is now. Like I am now.
1: here, I am, yeah.
0: Yes. And he wants us to be the I am people. You know, I am existing right now. I have a decision to make now. And even by the time I said now, that's in the past. So really it's the exact moment that I have that I'm living in is what I want to live in.
1: That's the bad moment. Uh-huh. Which is why,
0: but see, this is why Jesus told the disciples, do not worry about what you will say when you're called to, to give testimony. The Spirit will give you words. That doesn't mean we don't study. It doesn't mean we don't fill our brain with the scriptures and, and teaching, but we don't worry about it. This is one of the things when i take evangelism classes i have trouble with them because it's you say this you say this you say this if they say this you say this if they say this you say this and any other thing you say this you know they they give you this whole script that you're supposed to follow you know i have studied probably eight or nine different evangelism styles the only one i even come close to using is the roman road that was the first one i used and it gets involved in almost every presentation We are sinners, we deserve punishment, God loved us enough to pay for the debt, except Jesus, which is the gospel message. And I will intermix and and change and and bring them together. I I like many of the different styles of of evangelism. I I like the way of the master evangelism, which gets into, you know, if you, you know, talks about God being the perfect judge, you know He just doesn't give people forgiveness for what they've done because He's the perfect judge, and the example is you know if somebody hurt your mother or your your sister or somebody you really cared for, and when He came came up and He goes, God, you know, hey judge, I'm a really good person. I've done done more good than bad. You know, and I'm usually pretty good. You know, I did I'm guilty of this, and the judge says, innocent. You're going to say that's a very bad judge, okay? And it gets your heart string, just like David's story, you know, the story of Nathan to David, you know, this guy had a sheep, and he loved it, and he had it living in his house, and you're telling this to a shepherd, you know, to a, he's a king now, but he was a shepherd, and he knew what it was to have a a lamb that he loved, you know, and then said, then this guy, and this guy killed it, and he goes, that guy deserves to die, and you're the man, you know, it's that idea, and when we're giving the gospel, we do want to get, we oftentimes want to get that connection, you know, you know, you think God is going to just forgive whatever, you know, that's not being a good judge. And you bring that along. And so it is good to learn these different styles, but we don't want to get so locked into them that the Spirit can't help us. But you know change.
1: what really puzzles really me still is that, okay, if you're a Christian and everything, and you now are studying and everything, but then when somebody is dying and that done everything bad and didn't accept them you done all of this and he accepted just because of those words he said. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of hard still.
0: It's grace, because it's all grace.
1: I mean, but still, because he didn't try to be good.
0: Now, remember, though, in heaven, he's in heaven, he or she is in heaven, but they have no rewards. Whereas you're going to be rewarded for your study and your attempts at spreading the gospel and all of that you will be rewarded for all of that that you've allowed God to work for
1: but will they really be saved because even if they just said those words and they're
0: if, if they, they meant really the words mean, if they yeah. mean the words and they're dying on their deathbed the worst person that you can even imagine and they say those words and mean them they're saved
1: so then they must know what it really means if they really believe they have it. to understand Otherwise, that they are a sinner really in need of God it, and just said the words you don't believe it then. But right. if you believe, if if you have heard about it and believed in it, but just never, you know, said, I'm not going to do that, you know, until the very
0: end. Most the problem with that decision, though, is you don't know that you're going to have a chance at the very end to say a prayer. You could be shot. You could, you know, yeah. be killed in a car wreck. Yeah, killed in a car wreck, killed in an earthquake. You know, you never know. So, putting off till the last second is dangerous activity. The
1: like guy on the cross.
0: Yeah. He's saved, he has no rewards, yeah. but he is yeah. in paradise. The sinner's prayer is just, Lord, I, oh, I'm a sinner. I not,
1: it's not in, it's the, not in the scriptures. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. It's
0: just a compilation yeah, no, of, yeah, of that, words that they're I saying. Kind of
1: maybe it was a verse
0: inside here too, either. No. Okay. It just is a combination of verses that just yeah. say, you know, I'm a sinner, yeah, I, I, I deserve punishment, yeah, uh, yeah, I you accept thought, your gift. The Romans thing, yeah. The Romans road, basically. Yeah. Uh, but again, There's so many people that have looked over the years that the sinner's prayer is these magic words that whether you believe them or not, you've said these words, you're a Christian. And that is not true. You must believe believe what you're saying. And the most the first critical one is I'm a sinner. And there are lots of people just as Debbie last week in the service was talking about in her testimony. You know, she, her friend gave her all the right information. Except the except the absolute convincing that she was a sinner, she said the words, yeah. but didn't really feel that she had gotten saved by that because she didn't truly understand what she was I wish doing. More
1: people would have heard her.
0: And this is why it's important when we're sharing the gospel, we must get somebody number one and foremost to actually believe that they are are a sinner, not that they're mostly good but that you are a sinner that deserves punishment. Because if you don't need a Savior, if you don't believe you are a sinner in need of salvation. Uh, if you see somebody out on the lake and they're, and they're floundering in the water, but they don't believe they're dying, you know, they're not going to be ready to accept, it. accept help. And even then they're going to fight it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, But if somebody doesn't believe that they need help, they're not willing to accept help. The drunk who's not ready to say i'm ready to quit because my life is miserable, even though they know it's miserable and and they're having all these problems, if they're not ready to give up, no help is going to be enough. Somebody who wants to give says they want to give up cigarettes but really don't doesn't want it is not going to give them up it's not till you hit that point that says. I'm killing myself or I'm sick of this or it's a bad for my testimony or whatever, whatever your trigger is that says I've got to give them up. It's you have no desire to give them up. And it's the same thing with the gospel. Until they truly understand you are a sinner. Sinners deserve hell. And Jesus died for that. You know, it's three points of belief that are very important. And one of the things that gets to me when a pastor will have the whole congregation say the sinner's prayer, uh-uh, that is not, uh, that's bad. It's terrible. Because you might have somebody out there who will think, well, I said the sinner's prayer, I'm a Christian. And they're not because they didn't believe any word of it.
1: Or like you say, they said those words so they think they can do whatever they want. Or, to yeah.
0: say. or I can get away with it. I've got yes. my fire insurance, yeah. I can do whatever I want now. And that's even worse. So... Because when we really mean those words, God is going to make a change in our life. He is going to fill us with Himself. He's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we will be new creations in Christ that can do all things with Christ and will be joyful, not perfect, not, not excited, you know, not no problem-free, problem but we will have joy. And as I said this morning, we don't want to have anything steal our joy. We don't want Satan to steal our joy. And that's what he's going to try to do all the time. Steal our joy. Steal the joy of our salvation. Because he knows what the problem is. David in Psalm 51 said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then I will lead sinners in the way. Okay? He knew what he was missing. And it was the joy. And that was because he had done this. The the adultery with Bathsheba, and the murder of Uriah, and, he'd, and it's been a little over a year that he's been struggling and, and fighting God. And nothing is worse than fighting God for a long period of time. You will not have joy in your salvation when you're fighting God. I can attest to that, because every time i fought God, I've had no joy. It's very important to surrender to Him and live in the joy of your salvation, the victory He gives us. Because there will always be victory. He says, I called to remembrance my song in the night. I communed in my own heart and my soul made a diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promises fail forever? This guy is living in the past. God, you did great things in the past. Where are you? Maybe you've been there. Where you're so bound up in your problems, and you're saying, "God, uh, you know, I used to have, <laughs> I used to have all this joy. God, I used to enjoy studying the Word. I used to love singing. I used to love, you know, going to church. Why, why not now?" And we get so again focused on the past. <laughs> it used to be. It used to be. God hasn't changed. I can tell sometimes when somebody's going to start walking away from God because I can watch how they act in church. They go from being however, whatever level they are with God and singing and, and worship, and then they start missing services. They start shifting from the front, you know, the front area of the church to the back area of the church. They, they stop talking about God a little bit. And then when they disappear, it's not really a big surprise. You know, people are going, where's so-and-so? Well, I think they're kind of walking away from God for a moment. Not that we're going to ignore them. We're going to try to reach out to them. But we get thinking about what God used to do. God used to, I used to think God was so good. I used to see the blessings of God. Why not now? God hasn't moved. God is not the one that moves when we're in that place. If we think about it, we've moved. I think one of the greatest examples if anybody's ever gone to the ocean and you're out there deep enough where you're kind of floating around a little bit and maybe body surfing or or surfing or whatever, and before you know it, you're three miles down the beach. (laughs) Okay? Your towel and umbrella and stuff didn't move. (laughs) Okay? It stayed where you left it. But you're not focusing on what you're doing, and you ended up moving down the beach. And that's what happens to us in Christianity so much. So often, we stop focusing on God, we stop paying attention to Him, and slowly we drift away. It has been said, and it is true, that there is no standing still in the spiritual realm. You're either going forward with God, or you're going backwards. There is no standing still. You will be slipping away from him if you're not moving toward him. I
1: just have thought Go backwards.
0: You can't see where you're going. You're going to fall. Mm-hmm. That's true too. Mm-hmm. Is his mercy clean gone forever? I mean, this person's in pretty dire straits. <laughs> God, you're not even having mercy on me. You're, you're ignoring me. You're not being favorable. You've cast me away. He goes, has God forgotten to be gracious? Is his has he in his anger shed off his tender mercies? This guy's in a very sad, sad and hard strait. He's not seeing God doing anything in his life. And he's contemplating all the negative. And we're not trying to get into positive thinking or anything, but when we're thinking about all the bad stuff that's going on in our life, it seems to multiply. Okay, Because it starts piling up on each other. And then everything bad is because God didn't care anyway. Okay. God, you're not caring for me. You're not doing what's good for me. And the next thing you know, something bad. Oh, see, I knew I knew you weren't caring for me, God. And when our focus is on Him and we're sheltered in Him, it's just an amazing thing how we start seeing the good things that God's doing and how much He's protected us from. You know, even when bad things are happening, you know, Uh, it's kind of a negative way to look at it, but it could be worse. Sharon likes to say that, it could have been worse.
1: I always did. There's it a reason for it or it could have been worse?
0: Uh, But we want to be careful with that that because it's kind of a negative way to look at it, but it is true. God is protecting us from so much. It's like the storm that we're having outside. We're in this nice brick building not being touched by the wind. Not being touched by the rain. could
1: be like backies where they're getting all that bad stuff. No I said it could be worse.
0: It could be in a hearse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they, they kind up. of rhymes, you know. Could kind of poetry. There. Fine. All right, verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He's starting to come back again. God's done things in the past. And this is why I say we need to know our scriptures, or we need to know the scriptures for one big reason. What has God done in the past? Israel and the prophets were always saying, Remember when God took you out of slavery, he provided water, he provided food, he he provided shelter, he provided, you know, he did this. And remember when Joshua took you into the land and you had victory at every turn. You know, remember. Remember. It's called putting up the land, the, the, the memory stones or landmarks, is the right word, the landmarks in your life. What has God done in your life? Be aware of those. Think about those things. When things start going wrong, think about what he's done in your life. Think about what he's done in the life of the people in the scriptures. Read biographies about other Christians and see what God has done in their life. Because it's one thing to say, God, you, you did these things back. 1,500 years ago, two, 4,000 years ago. But in the back of our mind is, well, what are you doing lately? <laughs> you know, we're not going to be that blunt with it, but isn't that what we're thinking? Okay, God, you did it for Joshua, you did it for Joseph, you did it for Moses, but hey, what are you doing? <laughs> are you still doing these things? And the sad thing is there's a lot of churches t- teaching that he's not doing those things today. Mm. Okay, There are a lot of churches that don't believe in miracles of God, the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation. Now, how they can call themselves Christian churches, I don't know, but they do. They teach that the Spirit does not move the Spirit does not fill you. The Spirit does not do miracles today like He did in the Old Testament. Those were for the apostles, is what they'll tell you. Well, I got news for them. My God doesn't treat everybody differently. He's got gifts for each one of us, and He's going to give those gifts, and He still gives those gifts. We can still have healings. We can still de- deliver people from the demons. We can still have tongues and all the other things that, that happened in the New Testament and Old Testament for that matter. All of that stuff is still going on today. God has not changed. We limit him. We say, God, we're just, uh, we're just so scientific. We can't believe that you would ever do a miracle. As a matter of fact, we're not even so sure that those were miracles back then. It was just perfect timing for, for something, something natural to happen. Well, it's still a pretty good miracle for it to be timed just at the right time to just deliver his people. So this is starting to say, I want to look back. I want to follow my God. Get to know what he's done in the past, in other people's lives, and in your own life. And this is why testimonies that is what God is doing for us are so important for others in the church. It goes; It's further proof that God is still working today. And when we can say I had God answer this prayer, I was so sick and I asked him to pray, and I prayed for him and my headache, stomach ache, you know, flu, whatever it might be, went away, or I was in the hospital and this is prayer was made and I was able to walk out of the hospital and the doctors still don't know what's wrong. You know, how it happened. Yeah. I learned that uh, Okay. God oh waits so until it's desperate, uh, dire straits, and then he does something miraculous. So then uh, we know it's God that had to do it because it's miraculous. It's something that man couldn't have done. We couldn't have done ourselves. Yeah. It was so miraculous, uh, miracle, that it uh, had to be God. And we want to be able to say God Time Time did in. this. And it's important for us to share. When God does something in our life, it is important for us to share it with others because they need to see that God still works. He still cares. He still is doing the mighty things that He has done all through the scriptures. Verse 11, I will remember your works, the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. So this is where he's going back and saying, this is what you did for Father Abraham, for Noah, for Moses. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doing. Again, I'm going to think about what you're doing, God. He's coming out of the dumps at this point. He's saying, I'm going to start thinking about what you do, God. I'm going to start concentrating on the good. What you're doing, what you have done, what you are doing. And I love this, and I will talk about it. Amen. (laughs) Talk about it. There is some great special thing when you speak something it gives it more power than just thinking about it. If, you got, if you're going to do, if you're wanting to do something in a, and even a business idea, you want to get start a business. It's one thing to think about it and think about it and think about it and think about how wonderful it is. But when you start speaking about it, it it starts to become real. It takes it out of the thought processes and makes it real. We start talking about what God's doing, what He's done. We we put strength to it. We put wings to the wings to what he's doing and it, it strengthens and, and builds and so i love this i talk of your doings your way O oh god is in the sanctuary who is so great a god as our god and you can you can just hear the shift in his in his thinking now he's been miserable he is in trouble and now he's starting to say hey, i've got a great god i've got a great god You can't talk about the greatness of God and the power of what He does and what He's done in the past and doing today without having a change in your mind about your current standing. Because all of a sudden you're saying, my God's been great, is great, and will be great. And you're going, I don't know what He's doing in this situation, but He's going to do something great. Why? Not because of anything other than we're starting to recognize God's still God.
1: Learning though that the words I use in prayer may not always be the right words to choose because I'm praying about other people, and I'm just learning to say, Be you, God, be glorified in this, and I'll be more than complete.
0: Yeah, and you know, the disciples always had this attitude of, Thank you, God, that I am worthy of suffering for you. Why were they worth? Why did they want to thank Him for that? Not because they were were masochists who enjoyed being hurt <laughs> or sadists who just enjoyed it mm-hmm. they go if my suffering for Christ will bring somebody to Christ it's worth it is that the way we think? God if I suffered, but somebody else is able to watch how how you deliver me and how you protect me and they come to you is it worth the suffering we went through? I would say yes mm-hmm. Jesus rejoiced in the suffering that he went through, not because of the suffering, but because of all the people that would be brought into heaven with him and the Father because of it. And we think about his suffering. His, what we suffer is nothing compared to what he went through.
1: Not even hardy. Yeah.
0: You know, mm-hmm. he, he had the Father break fellowship with him for a period of time, somebody he'd never been out of fellowship with for all of eternity.
1: Especially because he was so pure, too. Yeah.
0: And He chose to willingly do that for us so that we would come to Him. What, what suffering is too great if somebody, if a soul will come to God through that suffering? What, what suffering is too great for us to go through?
1: I think the only thing they didn't calculate on was the fact it would hurt so bad to be separated from each other.
0: He knew all things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew everything.
1: And still. and still did it. What love we do
0: have. That's, that's love. That's love saying, I will suffer the worst heartache possible, the worst pain possible. I will be separated from you, Father, so that we can win these people back. That is, that is a pain we can't even comprehend. We don't understand, and that is the depth of his love for us that he was willing to go through the greatest pain that we can't even we can't even begin to fathom what that pain is like as i've said to many times as close the closest we probably could ever come would either be that first really true boyfriend girlfriend the heartache you had after that broke up or the breakup you know the breakup by death or, or divorce of a long long term mm-hmm. <laughs> marriage where people truly loved each other and all of a sudden there's that severing of that relationship but even that is nothing compared to what Jesus went through with the Father. It's just a glimmer, <laughs> a taste of what, what it really was.
1: That kind of opens that scripture up, I mean me, or you, or can do all things through Christ. That Christ on the cross. Who strengthens does. us. Okay.
0: And that's the key. We can do all things through him.
1: And we can make it.
0: Okay. We can do nothing of ourselves. We can do everything through Christ Mm -hmm. and that means suffer in a great way and the martyrs understood that their whole purpose of their martyrdom was so they could show that God was faithful and they were that he was worth following. gives the grace to go through what we have to go through and and He's the one you know we don't know that we can do it and I don't know that I could do it but you know what if God said it's time for me to go through it he's going to give me the strength and the grace to go through it. You look at Stephen being stoned and what does he say? He's been preaching to them. He's preaching as he's being stoned. Then he stands up and says, I see this Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And they continue to stone him in even greater numbers but at the same time they're looking, what is this crazy guy? You know, What is this about the God that he's following? And their minds are going back to, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace and standing for God. They're going back to seeing these people stand for God in the middle of adversity, some dying, some not dying. And they're seeing him stand for God and saying... And there are people that are heretics from Christianity. They, they, sometimes they, they go along and all of a sudden... you know, I've heard many pastors talk about it and I've seen it. People they grew up with in, in seminary and Bible colleges that were really strong for God looks like they were going to be great pastors and then five years later it's like where are they? Mm.
1: Selling Jews. Well, what maybe maybe
0: even worse than that, actively going against God. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know they've gone a full turnaround from being really apparently great Christians to actively opposing God. Billy Grange. And you and you start looking at them and saying, were they Christian? Are they Christian? Many times they're not. And this is why it's critical. We do not want to accept that just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, (laughs) that they're a Christian. Ask them follow-up questions. What does that mean? Now, in the 50s and 60s, you would hear, well, I'm an American, so therefore I'm a Christian. OK? Nowadays, you might hear just more simply, well, my mom and dad's a Christian, or my grandmother was a Christian. And
1: or they may say, "Are oh, we meant to church. Yeah, I go to
0: church. The I go to church once, once, once or twice a year. I'm a Christian. Words mean things, and words change in definition over the years. And words always end up changing. The language is fluid. It's not concrete. And that's why trying to translate is hard, and trying to translate into English. The English in this Bible, the King James that I read, is old and out of date. They've got the word, he had a gay time in the, in the scripture, you know, or he, he dressed in a, in a gay manner. Okay, that means something totally different to us than it did when they wrote yeah. the scripture. Okay, uh, and we look at it and say, wait, what, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and in that day, it was just a joyful, bright <laughs> bright activity, you know, so we words change in their definition. The, the, the word tolerant is a totally different meaning today than it was for everybody sitting in this room. You know, when we use the word tolerant, we think they have the right to believe what they want, and you know, and they have the right. Basically, they have the right to be wrong. <laughs> That's not what tolerance means to our children and our grandkids and our nieces and our nephews. When they use the word tolerant, they're really meaning that everybody has equal. You have to give them equal place with whatever you believe. And that's what tolerance, so Christians who used to be the most tolerant people, because you had the right to believe what you wanted, you had the right to be wrong, you had the right to go to hell, and you know, we'll, we're going to teach the gospel, but you're, you have the right to your your beliefs. We used to be considered the most tolerant people in the, in the world. We are now the most intolerant people in the world because we will not say that the homosexual lifestyle is good. We won't say that Uh, promiscuity is good. We won't say that fornication is a viable way of living if we're following God's word. We won't say that there's multiple ways to heaven and that a Muslim's going to the same heaven that we are and they're praying to the same God which they are not. Uh, And we won't, so we become very intolerant because we won't say that their beliefs are equal to our beliefs because we say we have the truth, they don't. And so we've become very intolerant by the current definition of tolerance.
1: Well, no, they don't, I mean...
0: Well, it's, well this is true. The, by yeah. doing that, we are intolerant. When I, went to, when I went back to college in the 90s, there were people going, well, you are so intolerant. I go, yes, I am. Thank you. And they, they, because when they said that being intolerant is supposed to be the worst social crime you can commit in today's world, to be intolerant is, man, you know, you might as well be Hitler because you're just so intolerant. Uh, no wonder
1: no one's beating my door down to come in.
0: <laughs> so when I when I would say thank you, it blew their mind because it's like they had just totally insulted me in their mind. And I'm saying thank you.
1: Mm-hmm, me too. I may not use that word because I really don't know that much. I just believe in the Bible and I go by what
0: it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you will be considered intolerant by them, and, and narrow-minded, and, and mean-spirited, because you just don't want to believe that there's other, yeah. other truths. But you know what? I will, I will gladly be the most intolerant person in the world as long as I am following God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I ultimately have to answer to God. When, I, when it comes to the end, I have to stand and answer to God, not those people who think I'm intolerant. And by their definition, I am intolerant, and I will praise God because I am the least politically correct, most intolerant person you're going to meet. Because I am going to stand for what God says.
1: Well, they're going to have to stand. Well, they have to stand
0: before God, yeah. too.
1: See, they can have all those fancy words, and I don't care what they use. I believe in God, and I don't care what they say, and so if I don't use that kind of words.
0: Yeah. All right, verse 15. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The water saw you, O God, the water saw you. They were afraid and the depths were troubled. The Jews had problems with water. <laughs> uh, they did not like uh, the sea. They did not, they, they considered evil to come from the sea. Yeah, they use water, water negative all the time. I mean, and here it says, "God, the waters." The trouble saw you, and this this is being very figurative. The the trouble saw you, and they were, they trembled, they were afraid, they they were troubled, they were agitated, excited, uh, and we see this a lot in the Jewish writings that they considered the sea a place of bad. They were fairly landlocked. They had a couple small small seas: the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and they had a little bit of a, of their Mediterranean that they, they dealt with, but for most of them, the sea was a bad place. You went out to sea, and your ships got lost. <laughs> uh, and there are, a lot of the ancients believed that way, that sea was trouble. You'd send your ships to go get cargo, and there would be about a 10, 20% chance that they'd come back, and usually they got lost at sea, you assumed anyway.
1: Or they got so happy over where they were going, they didn't come back.
0: Yeah, so... He's saying, "You, know, you have rescued Joseph and Jacob." 17's gonna be funny or yeah, verse 17. The clouds poured out <laughs> waters.
1: <laughs> That's what I think.
0: The sky sent out sound. Your arrows also went abroad, and this is talking about yeah. thunder and lightning and, and a big storm. And uh, you know, it is very poetic language <laughs> for a big storm. And you know, the voice of your thunders was in the heaven. The lightnings lighted lit the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your path in the great waters, <laughs> and your footsteps are not known." I love this, your footsteps are not known. And there's, here's a place where we see water away. God saying, the ways of the seas, the paths of the seas. The individual scientist who discovered that the oceans and the seas had paths actually took the several scriptures like this and said, the paths of the seas. And he goes, God, are there really paths of the seas? And he started looking for the currents. And there are currents in the seas that run the same direction all the time. If you try to go east in the mid-Atlantic, you're going to have a hard time because you're going against the mid-Atlantic current, which goes west. It comes up against Americas, makes a cut up the coast, heads up the coast up up to around the Arctic, Circle area and cuts back across to Europe again, and it makes a big circle. Mm-hmm. Try to go go with the current; you can make the trip fairly easy. The guy threw the bottle in the ocean, and it went. And out. he did that with some of his tests, but there were he did a lot of tests on 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 this. He had soundings and everything being made by captains and poured over their logs. But he found God said there were paths in the seas, and he found paths in the sea. Wow. You know, the Bible has talked about. All the great discoveries of of the scientists have been in the scriptures, and they were discovered. Most of the founding scientists that we know of, Newton, uh, uh, Galileo, uh, uh, Pythagorean, you know, all these guys were people who were Christians who read the Bible, and many of them are known they wrote more theology books than they did science texts, because they were theologians. You know, have you ever thought about, what did they say before, you know, it's not rocket science?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: They used to say it's not theology. That was the big schooled thing. It's not theology because they looked at theology much the way we do today. It was very complex. It's really not that complex. We all have theology. Every one of us has theology in our life. What do we believe about God? That is our theology. Now whether it's correct or not is another story, but we all, even non-Christians, have a theology about God. Many times in the non-Christian world, and sometimes even in the Christian world, it's not correct, Mm -hmm. but it is theology.
1: Well, it's like when a non-Christian
0: says, well, could you pray for me? Then they must believe in God. If they don't, you know, if they don't believe in God, they think you pray for me. It doesn't make much sense, but I sometimes know, they I do.
1: It's like, okay. Sometimes
0: it's like covering all my bases. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing this, this, and this, and maybe I'll get a Christian to pray for me, and they, you know, maybe and thinking, God can be motivated. I'm
1: thinking like, okay.
0: But theology that most Christians, and most especially non-Christians have, is, well, if I do more good than bad, I'll be okay with yeah. God. Uh-uh. Bad, bad, bad theology. A
1: lot of people, yeah. somebody in my family believe that. A lot
0: of Christians, unfortunately, believe, or people who claim to be Christians, believe that. If I do more bad, uh, good than bad, I'm going to be okay with God. And if I do more bad than good, then I will be rejected by God. And it is really sad that they have that thought pattern because that thought pattern is going to send them to hell. Just as we said this morning, there are going to be a lot of quote-unquote good people in hell, because they have not recognized that they're sinners in need of Jesus. And the last one in here, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So his, top, his topping of, as we look to God and, and recognize with God, that uh, you really led the people. You, you, you carried them through with, Abraham, with, you know, with Moses and Aaron. You see, you see the shift in his thinking. You know, everything's bad, 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 but all of a sudden he starts thinking, look what you've done, God. Look what you've done. And for us as Christians and us as followers of God, we need to get past, we're going to fall into this misery, pity, woe is me, everything's working against me at times. But we need to be able to come and say, God, you know, I, I've been having some troubles, but you haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Help me get back to where you're at. And I, and I like to quote Blackaby on this. He says, if you, if you want to be doing something for God, look around and find out what he's doing and join him. Because He's not the one that's moved when when we're feeling lost and lonely. He's doing something. Too many times we look to God and say, God, I'm over here. I want to get you over here. Let's start start doing this. And God say, I'm over here already doing something. Come join me. Get over here and help get going what's doing. We saw that at the founding of the church as it shifted from doing the law, trying to do the law, which they couldn't, to grace. And, and accepting people with, with Jesus Christ. And what did the Jews do? <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing it right. Yeah. People don't like change. We don't like change, and nobody else likes change. Mm-hmm. Now, if anybody who tells me they like change, I know they're lying. They may tolerate change. They may know that change is necessary, and, that they, and they may even know that change is usually can, or can be good, but I don't think anybody likes Change. People like doing what they know how to do. They like doing what works or what they think works. And they don't like to change. And believe me, I've been in business. I've heard the murmurings and the complaints about all the change. Change is a fact, fact of life. Because as we grow, we're going to change. As God moves us up, up and up, we're going to change because he's going to make us change. <laughs> And very critical that we keep in mind God has great things in store for us. But if we're trying to sit still, we're moving backwards. We're drifting down the coastline away from Him.
1: I'm trying to learn that computer. Let's go ahead. won't move
0: in. Let's close prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to love you. We ask you to you always help us to see you where you're at. Keep us in a place where we can see you and and give us the motivation to join you in what, what all you do. And protect each person as they're driving home in this storm tonight. In your son's name, amen.